Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. So today, we're in part five of this series, Navigating Life. And when we talk about navigation, of course, when you think about navigation in the physical world, we're talking about navigating from point A to point B. To navigate successfully, you need reliable tools, right? You need reliable methods. But the most important thing about navigating is knowing and having a clear picture of where it is that you want to go. If you don't know where it is that you want to wind up at, well, your navigation really is kind of pointless. You're just kind of wandering aimlessly. We've got to know where it is that we want to wind up at at the end of our navigation. And and just like navigating in a a, a physical world, we're all on this spiritual journey like I talked about uh, just a moment ago. And to navigate in this spiritual journey, we've got to know where do we want to end up at? Where do we want to end up at when we come to the end of our life? Do we want to come to the end of our life and be full of shame and regrets and broken relationships and all kinds of problems? Or do we want to come to the end of our life knowing that we have fulfilled the purpose that God has given us, knowing that we have done the things that we were created to do, And come to the end of our lives and be able to look back and have that sense of fulfillment. And of course, ultimately, what we want is to spend eternity with our Creator. We want to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's where we're navigating towards. And so if we're going to navigate our spiritual journey with the hopes and the expectations that we're going to come to the end of our life here on earth, being fulfilled fulfilling the purpose that, that God has given us. If we, if we want to come to the end of our journey here on earth, knowing that we're going to spend eternity with God, then we have to navigate using the reliable tools and the reliable methods that God has given us. We don't want to fall into the trap of following the patterns of the world. We don't want to fall into the trap of trusting in human philosophy or human social ideas Listen, we don't want to fall into the trap of even trusting our own reasoning and emotions. You know you can't trust your feelings, right? Have you ever just gotten really angry and made a bad decision that maybe felt right at the time, and then the next day you're like, wow, I cannot believe I just did that. Can't believe I just sent that text or called that person 39,000 times in a row right? Can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your emotions. If we're going to effectively navigate life, we've got to look at what God has given us. And so let me just recap this series for you so far. Week one, week one, we talked about the existence of God, how it's essential for us as we navigate life. It's essential for us to believe in the existence of God. Of course, we believe as Christians in the God of the Bible. We believe God was manifest in flesh in Jesus Christ. But that belief in the existence of God, it's essential for navigating life. Why? Because we understand that God is dependent on nothing, but everything is dependent on God, so we submit to his authority. Then week two, we talked about the word of God, how how we have the Bible. God has given us his written, inspired word 
and how it's reliable for us. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's the word of God that can help us uh, walk through life. It's literally the instruction manual for how God expects us to live our life. Week three, we talked about the church. We talked about how when you look through the Bible from the very beginning in creation, that it's been God's intention to have his own people group that he could dwell among, that he could live with, that he could be in close relationship with, that would reflect his image into the world and bring glory to him. And what we believe was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost is that Jesus, after he uh, paid the price for sin on the cross, sent his Holy Spirit to the church, to his followers, to all people, so that now the church is both God's temple and God's people reflecting his image into the world and bringing glory to him. And we believe church is essential. It's an essential part of you navigating the spiritual life. And we talked about all the reasons why in this day and age it's easy for people, even Christians, to think, I don't need the church. I can do this walk of faith. I can, I can follow Jesus on my own. I don't need to be part of a church. And I just encourage you, if you missed that message, go back. You can go on our YouTube, Facebook page and watch that. But being part of a church body is very much part of God's plan for you and for me. Week four, we talked about God's pattern last week. What an awesome message our pastor preached last week. I do not think that there is a minister alive that could have delivered such a difficult, tough, sensitive subject with as much love and grace as our pastor did talking about God's pattern. What an amazing message. Like I said, if you have missed any message or if you've missed any week up to this point in this series, Navigating Life, today's week five. We got one more week next week, so it's six weeks total. I encourage you, go back on our website, life.cc. Go back on YouTube. Go back on Facebook and watch every message in this series. This is what I, this is what I believe. I think the things that we have been talking about in this sermon series are really the, they are the essentials, the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. And it's so important for us to, to understand them, to hear the teaching on them, and to embrace these things. So today I'm talking about navigating life and how when we navigate this life, we have to have the Holy Spirit. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be full of the Holy Spirit. And as I, as I begin this message, I just have a couple pictures that I'd like for you uh, to look at. The first one, I'll put it up on the screen. You'll see this. It's obviously just broken glass. It's broken bottles. Anybody, show of hands, anybody ever step on a piece of broken glass? Don't you hate it? Like you're in, in the kitchen and you're getting some water, drop a cup and just, just explodes like a grenade, little pieces of glass everywhere. So you sweep and you vacuum you mop, maybe, think you're all done, and then phew, one little step, just a tiny piece of glass right in your foot. All of a sudden, there's pain, there's blood everywhere. There's nothing pleasant about broken glass. If you look at this picture, you see that broken glass, it's, it's jagged. It's got rough edges. I think any one of us, if we were walking along a street or walking along the beach or, or even in our home, if we saw something like this, you would do everything you could to, to stay out of its way, right? You would avoid having to go through something like this. But there's actually something pretty amazing that can happen to, to this glass. There's something pretty amazing that can happen to, 
to broken glass, and it's this phenomena that happens uh, when glass is maybe on a cargo ship, broken and, and immersed into the ocean, or maybe somebody's just throwing bottles into, out into the ocean. There's something amazing that happens to glass when it is immersed in the ocean over a period of time, constantly being pulled down to the sand, that coarse sand that, that will rub the, the glass, rub those jagged edges away, being rolled around in those waves in the ocean that over about 30 or 40 years, it turns into something like this. This next picture. It turns into sea glass. Maybe you've seen this on the beach and you, were just, you thought it was maybe a colorful rocks or whatever, but this is actually glass that has been lost out in sea because of a shipwreck or what have you that's been broken and that for about 40 years has just been tossed and turned in waves. It's had sand rubbing over it. Then it's washed up on shore, and it's no longer this jagged, broken, rough-around-the-edges piece of glass. It's this beautiful, treasured piece of, of glass that, that people seek after. They search for it, and they're, they're valuable possessions to people. And I'm showing you this picture because I'm trying to give you an illustration of what the power of the Holy Spirit does to us. This is an illustration of what the power of the Holy Spirit does to you and I because let's just all be real. Let's all, let's all just acknowledge that when we come to God, we are broken people. I don't care if you've got, you feel like you have your life all together and you've got an education, you've got a good job and you have a good income and you're financially stable and you feel like you've been making good moral decisions. The truth is every single one of us are sinners in need of a savior. And so no matter how good we might appear on the outside, no matter how good we might appear by the world's standards, the truth is on the inside, every single one of us is a filthy, rough around the edges, jagged sinner. And we're in need of a Savior. And when we come to God as a broken person, when we come to Jesus as a broken person, and we put our faith in Jesus... And when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives, and when we are totally immersed in the Holy Spirit, this is what can happen. You can be transformed from the inside out into a new person. This is what the Bible calls it. This is the theological or the church word for this process that I'm describing. It's sanctification. So I always have a problem when I preach. I... I tend to share way too much information, so I'm just going to try to give you the basics right here. This has always been God's plan for you and I. This has always been God's plan for us to be able to be filled with His Holy Spirit. This is that, that, that relationship that I've been talking about where God dwells among His people. This is what it looks like. This is what the intention was at creation, and then sin Removed, uh, removed us from God, separated us from God. And we see when you read all through the Old Testament, I don't have time to give you all the scriptures. I promise I had them in my notes and it was like three pages long. I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta cut that out. But if you look through the Old Testament, the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Joel, in the Psalms, these are the things that you see God again and again telling His people, giving hints to His people. He, he says things like, there's coming a day I'm gonna make a new covenant. There's coming a day I'm gonna make a new 
arrangement with my people where they're not having to follow a law that's written on stone. Instead, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. God would say stuff like that. God would say there's coming a day where I'm going to send my Messiah and my spirit will rest on him. You know what that means is that the Messiah, the Holy Spirit would remain, would be fully covering the Messiah. He says there's coming a day like in, in Joel God said, there's coming a day where I'm going to pour out my spirit on all people, on all flesh. This has been God's plan from the beginning. This is part of the redemption of creation is for his Holy Spirit to be poured out. So generation after generation, we we see these prophecies in the Old Testament. We see these prophecies like God is pointing us towards, hey, there's coming a day things are going to change. There's coming a new age in the kingdom. It's coming with my Messiah. And then we see Jesus step on the scene. And this story that I'm going to get into today, it starts with this man named John the Baptist. Now, if you grew up in church, you probably heard about John the Baptist. I still remember back in the day when we did King of Kings, Stan Wagner playing John the Baptist in that drama. Y'all, Anybody remember that? Remember Stan busting into the auditorium? Repent! Scared me every time. Story here is about John the Baptist. He's like a prophet, preacher, evangelist. He's going out, preaching to people. He's living in the wilderness. He's doing weird stuff like eating bugs, but mainly he's going around telling people they need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of God is near. And so people start asking John, he's, he's, he's you know, got quite a following now, and they start asking John the Baptist, Who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you the reincarnation of some? prophet, are you Elijah? And John the Baptist says, no, there's actually one that's coming after me who's greater than I am. He says, yeah, I'm coming and baptizing with water, but guys, you need to know there's coming someone after me, and as great as you might think that I am, there's, there's coming one that is greater than me. And then we see Jesus step onto the scene there while John the Baptist is ministering to people. And we see that pick up in John chapter 1. Verses 29 through 34. This is this gospel of John was it's a different John. You, you guys probably know that. This is John, the disciple, the apostle. This is what scripture says. The next day, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's telling people, he says, This is the one that I was talking about. This is the one that I meant when I said, There's coming a man after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. He says, I I didn't know who he was. I myself did not know him. But the reason I'm even doing what I'm doing, the reason I'm even going around telling people to repent, the reason I'm even going around baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to you. John the Baptist is saying, look, the whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing is so that you wouldn't miss him. Then John goes on. He gives this testimony He says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I briefly mentioned this Old Testament prophecy that said there's coming a Messiah and the Holy Spirit will rest on him, will remain on him. And and God is allowing John the Baptist to see a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit come down and rest on Jesus Christ. The man who you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
I want, I'm going to say that again because I want you to, to really get this part. He says, the one who you see the Spirit come down and remain, that's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is what God is telling John the Baptist. Then John goes on, I've seen and testify that Jesus, that this man is God's chosen one. He's called, he calls Jesus the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist calls him that. John the Apostle felt like it was important to include that in his gospel that we have. He says, Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So here's what it means for Jesus to be the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Number one, it means that the Holy Spirit comes through Jesus. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, baptism with the Holy Spirit comes through Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other way that this happens. There doesn't, it doesn't matter how much you go out into nature, and nature is your church, and you look around, and you feel all these tingly feelings. I'm telling you, there's, that is not a way that you are filled with or have an incredible encounter with God's Holy Spirit because it comes through Jesus Christ. This is the only way to get to God. It's through Jesus Christ. To be in a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. To experience the forgiveness of God is through Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen in nature. It doesn't happen with some new age spirituality. It doesn't happen with some enlightenment where you reach a certain point and you think that I have now entered the realm of being one with the Spirit of God or the universe or whatever. It's through Jesus Christ that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The only reason we have this hope, and I grew up Pentecostal church, the DNA of this church is Pentecostal, spirit-filled. We know that the only reason we have this hope of having this kind of experience and relationship with God is because of Jesus Christ. And I love reading throughout the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, every account that's given when it says someone was filled with the Spirit you know what's happening when people are baptized with the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? They're not seeking an experience. They're not seeking a spiritual experience. They're not seeking a spiritual encounter. They're hearing the gospel of Jesus. Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the people that were baptized with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, they had walked with Jesus for three years. These are people who had the full revelation of who Jesus was. Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is converted to Christianity after he has an encounter with Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 10, Peter goes to the Gentiles. He goes to the house of Cornelius and he preaches the gospel to them. He tells them about Jesus and they receive, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus. He's expecting to be the very first person in all of Ephesus that is bringing the message of Jesus Christ. And when he gets to this city, the Bible tells us he runs into or he encounters believers. Some translations say Paul meets disciples in Ephesus. And he's shocked. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, no. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And they get into this whole debate where he's asking them, well, then how were you baptized well, it turns out these people just didn't have a full picture of who Jesus was. So Paul preaches the gospel to them. 
and they're baptized in Jesus' name, and they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's like all throughout Scripture, every time we see someone being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's because they've had a revelation of who Jesus is. And that's the point of, of this whole message that I'm, I'm bringing you today is to have this understanding that this experience, this baptism with the Holy Spirit, it's because of Jesus, it's all about Jesus, and ultimately it's all for Jesus. Jesus is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He, he immerses us in the Holy Spirit. That's what baptism means. Baptism means immersion. It's like Jesus is plunging us into the Holy Spirit. When does this event happen? I know if you've grown up in church, depending on what denomination you've grown up in, this is something that Christians just love to argue and debate about is when does this baptism with the Holy Spirit happen? Is it at this one point of confession or faith, which is synonymous with regeneration, or is there some kind of second blessing of when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens that, that gives you, there's evidence that comes with it. What, what is the point? And all, you know, there's a lot of division about this among the body of Christ, among uh, uh, the church. People have different doctrines and, and theology about this. And, and we don't have time to get into all of that as much as I want to. We don't have, have time to get into it all today, but I'll just tell you this, this story I heard of a minister who, who was asked, He's being interviewed for a position, and they ask him, are you full of the Holy Spirit? And he says, yes, but I leak. <laughs> I leak. I leak the Holy Spirit because I'm, I'm sinful, because I'm made of flesh, and because I still sometimes give in to temptations, and, and I leak. This is what I believe that baptism in the Holy Spirit, immersion in the Holy Spirit, it's not meant to be this one moment of our life and one moment of our faith where we can look back to and say, this is, this is the moment that it happened when I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. It happened there. It didn't happen before here. It didn't happen after. It's just right here. And we can argue about when that moment is, but what I believe is being filled with the Spirit is not supposed to be an isolated event in our lives as believers. It's not supposed to be a moment that we look back in time and say, I'm so glad I received the Holy Ghost that day. It should be something that we seek for and pray for daily. And I have, I mean, we have scriptures to see that. Amen. The truth is the apostles in their writings would always encourage people, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is telling people, don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's talking to believers. Be filled with the Spirit. It's a continuous thing. We even see the apostles themselves after Acts 2, after the day of Pentecost, after they've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 13, it happens to the apostles again. It's not a one-time thing. It's something that can happen multiple times. It's something that we should seek for and pray for and ask for every day of our lives because we need to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is Jesus plunging and immersing us into the fullness of the Spirit at any moment, at any point in our life, at any point on this spiritual journey. It comes through Jesus because it's because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. And I have two points I want to share with you quickly about this. This is why this is so important for you to understand for navigating life why you should seek being full of the Spirit, why you should seek being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Number one is because the Holy Spirit glorifies 
Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Let me unpack that a little bit. John 15, 26 says, Jesus himself speaking. He says, when the advocate comes, which is another reason it's capital A there. This is another term that Jesus used to talk about the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the comforter. When the advocate comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, look at this next part, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about who? About Jesus. Saying, when I send you the Holy Spirit, he's going to testify to you about me. When you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, things start changing. Right? Things start changing. The way you think, your thoughts start changing. When you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, your actions start changing. Your habits start changing. The, the desires of your heart start changing. Your character starts changing. Your attitude starts changing. When you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, these things that you just can't explain, it's like you just feel different. You want to do things differently. And that's because on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit is testifying and glorifying Jesus as the Lord of your life. It's that when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, inside of you, there is something testifying and saying, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is good. Jesus is true. Jesus is magnificent. Jesus is more precious than your desires. Jesus is more precious than the world. Jesus is more precious than that sin you've been caught up in. The Holy Spirit testifies and glorifies Jesus within us. John 16, Jesus says same thing. He's telling his disciples, this is towards the end of, of his ministry, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is what Jesus is saying. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in our lives. You know what happens when Jesus is glorified in your heart? When Jesus is glorified in your mind? When Jesus is glorified in your life? Is the world loses its appeal. Those lifestyles that, that we are caught up in, that we find comfort in, that we think are so much fun, when you are immersed in the Holy Spirit and Jesus is glorified in your heart, those things lose their appeal. Sin loses its power over us when Jesus is glorified in our hearts. Maybe you did walk in and you're just captive to these habits in your life, these destructive habits. You keep falling into the same mistakes. You keep falling into the same problems. You keep falling in and getting tangled up in the same sin. You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you are fully immersed and that Jesus is glorified in your hearts that you will walk with power overcoming sin. You see, when you're immersed 
in the Holy Spirit. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, fear just doesn't have a place in your life. When you are immersed and full of the Holy Spirit, anxiety does not have a place in your life. Sin certainly does not have a place in your life when you are a person immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. Temptations might come, but because of the power that you have with the Holy Spirit, the power that comes from the Holy Spirit, you have the power to overcome temptation. This is what the Bible tells us. Paul says it, that that before this, you were a slave to your flesh. You had no choice but to sin. You had no choice but to make those terrible decisions over and over that were leading to your ruin, that were leading to shame. You were a slave to your flesh. But once you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, you are given a power that is not your own. It's the power of God to save you from the power of sin. And that's why it's so important to remain and seek and always desire to be baptized and full of the Holy Spirit because it's only by the power of God that we can truly overcome our flesh and our sin. You are not strong enough. There is no self-help Discipline, routine, lifestyle that you could implement with your own knowledge and understanding and with your own power that is going to help you not sin. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit ministering within you, testifying about the goodness of Jesus Christ, glorifying and elevating him in a place in your life where he is truly your Lord and you walk in that power. When we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, okay, let me just talk to the Pentecostal people for a moment. Is that okay? I'm going to take a drink of water for this one. When we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we are not meant to focus on the experience. We're not meant to focus on the experience We're not meant to focus on the expression. We're not meant to seek that moment. That that moment that that we feel the things we feel and we have the expressions that that we have. That's not supposed to be the focus. And I can get into, I'll get into a little bit why that's the issue, but can I just tell you my own experience, my own testimony, growing up in church, in in a Pentecostal church, which I am thankful for. I'm so glad I have grown up in an environment where it is normal to experience the power of God and express, express the power of God. But what I did was when I, when I elevated that experience that I would have in the altar, or when I would elevate that experience that I, that I had when I would uh, be baptized in the Holy Ghost, then I used it as a justification for me to do all these other things that were sinful. Because as long as I could come to church on Sundays and speak in tongues, and have this moment in the altar where I'm repentant and I feel God move on me, well then, that must mean that God is still happy with me. And even though I'm going to leave this church service and go get involved in some things I probably shouldn't, as long as I can keep having this experience, this is how I keep God happy with me. This is how I keep pleasing God time and time again. So yeah, it's okay that I've got this hidden sin it's okay that I, I have this, just this one thing that I know is not pleasing to God, but as long as I can have this experience, it's okay. 
It's not meant to be like that. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is not about the experience that we feel and we have physically in an altar. We are meant to, in that moment, send all the attention back to Jesus. When we are baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit that comes from Jesus, it's a moment where we have to orient our life and send all, uh, all attention back to Jesus. It's all because of Him. It's all about Him in that moment. And it's not even about that moment. It's all for Him and what that moment equips us to do. Christ must reign supreme in our lives. We love coming in and calling Jesus our Lord. Think about the implications of that word for a moment. Lord. It's not a word that you and I hear very often in American culture. What do you think it meant in Roman culture? What do you think it meant to call someone your Lord? It meant this person is in authority over me. This person is going to give commands and I have to obey them because he is Lord. So making Christ supreme in our lives, making him the Lord of our life, that is what gives us the proper order for how we're supposed to live. Because as soon as we remove Christ from being supreme, as soon as we remove Christ from his rightful place in this whole process, our lives get out of order. You hear what I'm saying? As soon as we elevate the experience over Jesus, our lives are out of order. If Christ does not reign supreme in our lives, we're not going to glorify him the way that we're supposed to. If Christ is not your Lord, if Christ does not reign supreme, if you don't send all attention and focus back to Jesus, you're not glorifying him the way that he deserves to be glorified. This is an example I want to use in Scripture, the church in Corinth. We see in the New Testament, Paul wrote to this church twice. or He actually wrote more than twice. We just have two of the letters that we call First and Second Corinthians. And let me tell you a little bit about this church. When these people gather together, when they have church services, they're speaking in tongues loudly. They are prophesying. They are having revelation. They're giving interpretations of visions and dreams, and they're giving special insights. And on the outside, it seems like a very spiritual church. Seems like this is a very spiritual church full of very spiritual people. But what we see in Paul's writings is that this church is full of people who are full of arrogance, pride, jealousy, quarreling, sexual immorality, which Pastor talked about last week, sexual immorality, any sexual activity that happens outside of a marriage between a man and a woman, the church is rampant with sexual immorality. There's a man in the church, there's a man in that church in Corinth who was sleeping with his stepmother and then bragging about it to everybody else. The church in Corinth was full of drunkenness, people partying, people getting drunk even during communion, even during the Lord's Supper, getting drunk. Members within the church are suing each other. That would be like you, Stephen, suing Franklin, suing each other. 
There's no unity in the church. This is what grieved the Apostle Paul the most, is that there was no unity in the church. Members of the congregation were divorcing each other. And that's not the worst of it. They started believing that the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus was not enough, so they started following a list of rules. They started following the Old Testament law. They got to this place where Jesus was no longer enough, so they started following the Jewish law that we had been freed from. You see what is happening here? These spiritual people have removed Jesus from supremacy in their lives, and this is the result. Chaos, disorder, immorality, disunity. The church was full of people. They had removed Jesus from his rightful place. What did they replace him with? Their own spirituality. They replaced Jesus with their own spirituality, wanting to be the one with the special insight, wanting to be the one with the visions and the dreams and the word and the prophecy, wanting to be the one that prays loudly, wanting to be the one that other people look to as spiritual. They have removed Jesus and elevated themselves. And I believe in the power of speaking in tongues. I believe in prophecy. I believe in dreams. I believe in visions. I believe in healings and signs and wonders. I believe in those things. But when you take Jesus out of his rightful place, those things are meaningless. They're meaningless. Let me put it this way. These people, with their, ma- with their mouth, with their lips, they're saying every Sunday, every time they gather, they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus, you are great. Jesus, you are wonderful. And then with their lifestyle, they're saying, crucify him. Is Jesus in the rightful place in your life? Is Jesus supreme in your life? Is Jesus your Lord? Where more than your own desires and your own lifestyle and your own preferences, more than those things... You desire Jesus. Do you walk around knowing that you are living in sin and justifying it because on Sundays you feel the presence of God? Are you living your life knowing that you are actively participating in sexual immorality and gossiping and lying And this corrupt lifestyle that we are supposed to be free from, are you you giving yourself to that lifestyle but justifying it because you can still have an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Are you elevating yourself in place of where Jesus should be? Now, nobody's perfect. It's all just sigh of relief. Nobody's perfect. I still get the urge to pull people over on I-45 and get in a fist fight, okay? Can I just be real with you? God is working on me. There's still a little Marine left in me that's just punch first, ask questions later. Nobody's perfect. That's why. That is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I've got to hurry up. I'm preaching too long. God. I have a problem. All right. 
Paul, he, he is addressing these people who appear spiritual, but have removed Christ from his place of supremacy, and now they have, I mean, did you hear the list? This is stuff by even the world's standards would look and say, man, those people are messed up. And this is the church. And I, and I can't set it all up with the context, but we see Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he, he basically summarizes everything. He's like, hey guys, you have missed the point. You have missed it completely. He says, the Lord is the Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. Guy, they were falling into the law, obeying rules. He says, no, you have freedom from the law. You are free from the condemnation of the law. And guess what? You're also free from the power of the sin that you are still falling into. You've been free, set free from those things. And now he says in verse 18, We all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is what Paul is saying. That the glory of the Lord is no longer hidden to you and I. You see, in the Old Testament, when people had to follow a list of rules and they had to follow a law, the glory of God was still veiled. There was still a separation. And it was a fading glory. God knew the law was never going to be enough. And he's saying, you and I, instead, you and I, everybody say me, we have the opportunity to gaze into the depths of the holiness and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. With no separation, with no veil, with nothing standing in our way, you and I, we can gaze into the holiness and righteousness of our Savior. We can contemplate it, and we can look at him, and we can look at our lives, and we can say, Jesus, I need you. We can look at how wonderful and magnificent and glorious Jesus is. And then we can look at our lives and say, oh my gosh, look how filthy I am. Look how, look how unclean I am. Look at this lifestyle that I am living. I've got to get rid of those things. I've got to get rid of the immorality. I've got to get rid of the greed. I've got to get rid of the pride. And that's how we are transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. The power of the Holy Spirit working in you and I, is so that we can contemplate Jesus Christ's glory. So that we can contemplate the holiness and righteousness of God and that we can be transformed into his image. It's because of Jesus, it's about Jesus, and it's for Jesus. I'm about to close, but the main point that I'm trying to stress here Life Church, I love this church so much. I, I really do. Houston campus, Friendswood campus, I love this church. You know why? Because I don't see that pious, religious, spiritual pride attitude like I just described at Corinth. I don't see that here. I, I don't see people, you know, using the Spirit of God and the power of God for their own elevation. I don't see that here. And I say that genuinely. I, I genuinely say that. But what I want to kind of lean into in this moment is in light of everything that we just talked about, how Jesus is the one that baptizes us with 
the Holy Spirit. And that when we're baptized and immersed with the Holy Spirit, that it's something that is supposed to glorify Jesus in our lives so that he's our Lord, then what I want to ask is, are we comfortable living in our sin? I think all of us should contemplate that. Have you made a justification for sin? Have you just in your mind wrestled and just come to the conclusion, well, yes, I know that I'm living in sin right now, but I have a plan to do X, Y, Z. So until then, I'm going to keep living in sin, but eventually I'm going to get out of it. Because what you have just done is just remove Jesus and elevate yourself. I'm not saying you're lost. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell, but I'm saying you need to contemplate whether or not you are really giving yourself to the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Because it's not just to make you feel good. The, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, is not to make you feel loved. We know God loves us. We know. It is meant to be this force that propels you to make these changes and leave your sin so that you can look more like Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ had no sin. And he certainly didn't have a justification for why he should keep living in sin. And I know what I'm saying has some implications about maybe you have to make some drastic changes to your lifestyle. Is Jesus worth it to you? All right, I'm going to move on. This is the last point I'm going to make. So one, we established the Holy Spirit comes from Jesus and the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus in our life. Number two, Holy Spirit empowers me to do the work of Jesus. Being full of and immersed in the Holy Spirit is like getting rolled around in waves of grace over and over where we have grace, where we are forgiven, where we can also look at Jesus and look at our lives and say, oh man, I got to get rid of this rough edge. I've got to get rid of this jagged point. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do that in the first place. And also, it's for this reason right here, to do the work of Jesus, to be more like Jesus so we can do the work of Jesus. Let's read Acts chapter 1. This is before Jesus ascends to heaven. It says, after his suffering, after the suffering of Christ, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He's Going around to his followers, to his believers, he's saying, hey, this is indeed me. I am risen from the dead. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Remember all those prophecies in the Old Testament? The Spirit's coming. The Spirit's coming. Wait for that promise, which you've heard me speak about. For John, the Baptist, he baptized with water, but in a few days... You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, he says, you will receive power. You will receive power. Everybody say power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit fills you. You, all of you, me. We receive power when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? So you can be my witnesses. You will receive power 
so that you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What Jesus is saying is there's going to be power come over you. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive power, but don't forget it's so that you can go out into the world and be a witness of me. Will you please stand with me? Stand with me at Friendswood. Navigating life. Let's bring it back home to this series, will we? Navigating life. Every single one of us, as we follow Jesus, we have to know that we are called to a purpose. You have a purpose. Your purpose is to become more like Jesus so you can do the work of Jesus. And if there's any hesitation about that, you need to elevate Jesus in your life. If there's any aversion that you have to being Jesus' representative and ambassador out in the world, you need to elevate him in your heart. What you need is to be baptized in his Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit will testify and glorify Jesus in your life. I'd like to ask the prayer team to come here in Houston. Friends, would let the prayer team get ready there as well. Our team is going to lead us one more time in a song. They're going to lead us in this song called Refiner. I know that song, Refiner. The words to this song are all about Jesus transforming us. Saying, Jesus, I'm going to take all the bad times I go through, the hard times, the difficult times, and, and I'm also going to take all the good times that I go through. I'm, I'm going to allow it to make me more like you. This is what I would ask here at Houston and at Friendswood as, as Nick and the team take over there in just a moment after I pray. I just would ask you, look, can we just seek Jesus? Can we seek Jesus? You don't have to be seeking some experience. You don't have to be seeking desperately to speak in tongues. You don't have to be seeking this, this evidence. What you have to seek is Jesus. I don't know about you, but I need, I need Jesus. I need Jesus because I am a father and a husband and I'm a friend and I'm an employee and, and I need Jesus glorified in my life so that I can have things in the proper order, so I can be a good husband to my wife, so I can be a good father to my daughters. I need Jesus. I, I want him to be my Lord. I want him to reign supreme. And guess what? It's okay if sometimes you get on your knees and you weep in repentance. It's okay if you cry out, Jesus, I need you. I tell you just on the way here, this isn't a, about me, but what I'm saying is it's okay sometimes just from the bottom of your heart to say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you, Jesus. I want to live the life you've created me to live, Jesus, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, the tip of my tongue, everything I speak, I want it to reflect you, Jesus, everywhere I go and everything I say, I want people to look at me and say, there's something different. I want my life to express that Jesus is king. 
I want everything about my life to point to Jesus. And I'm asking you if you would also do the same thing. So let me pray. I hand it back over to Friendswood. Let's spend time in the altar. If you need prayer, if you need prayer at Friendswood, our prayer team is here. It's a powerful thing to partner with somebody in prayer, to be anointed with oil, to confess some things. We can fill this altar here. Friends, would you, wherever you're comfortable, let's take time just seeking Jesus and seeing what he will do. Seeking Jesus and being honest about some things that maybe we've put above him and before him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your presence and your spirit that we feel in this place. And in this moment, we want to recognize that the reason we're feeling this, the reason we can experience your spirit is because of you and your sacrifice. And it's all about you that we can experience this and be baptized. It's all about you so that we become more like you. And it's all for you so that once it happens, we can go from this place with the power that we need to do your work. Help us transform our thinking maybe from seeking the experience that makes us feel good so we can get through the week to seeking the power that we need to live a transformed life. As we seek you in this moment, Lord, as we seek you in Houston, as we seek you at Friendswood, as we seek you, Jesus, pour your spirit out upon us, immerse us, baptize us in your Holy Spirit so that we can be a church and a body does your work. That's the way that we have to navigate life is being led by and empowered by you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray these things. And everybody said, amen. Friendswood, Nick, you can go ahead and take over there. Life Church in here in Houston. We're going to start singing again. If you need prayer, our prayer team's here. Let's spend some time seeking Jesus.